Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Spartan Forge. On today, I am joined by Tony Treach yet again this week, but we are talking all about his 2021 Western Elk Hunts that resulted in two giant bulls down in Nevada and Colorado. Tony is someone who spends as much, if not more time than anyone else I know out West and is consistent at getting it done on the biggest, oldest critters in the mountains. And this episode is brought to you by Spartan Forge. And the Spartan Forge app utilizes years of military background and machine learning to pull from millions of data points to accurately predict deer movement, including GPS data, 30 years of weather, academic, and state research. The new app includes GPS mapping with incredible aerial imagery, offline dependability, deer prediction, weather updates, journal entries, and much more. We just got finished with the veterans hunt that Spartan Forge put on here in northern pennsylvania and really really incredible uh, experience here getting to spend time with these veterans and who sacrificed so much for our country and being able to to give back and the founder bill is a veteran who just retired from the military here in july so it's it's really important to him and his company to be able to give back and it was such a great experience to have some podcasts that'll come out from that hunt here in the the coming weeks but if you want to check out the spartan forge app you can save 20 percent by using the code east meets west at spartanforge.ai again make sure you sign up at the website put the code in and then download from the app store if you just go right to the app store you won't be able to get a discount you won't be able to put the code in so go online first create that account put in your code Download the app, use that login information, and you're good to go. Tethered is a company founded on the principles of educating the hunting community on saddle hunting while creating the most innovative, lightweight, safe products for saddle hunting. They have mobile gear hunting options for all types of hunters and continue to push the envelope. I'm currently using the one sticks i'm using the predator platform and a phantom saddle with two cis haulers the eight millimeter ropes got the whole gist and the whole setup super lightweight my whole setup comes in like a little over seven pounds i believe it's super lightweight and allows me to be mobile so to learn more about tethered and saddle hunting head over to tetherednation.com Maven is building highest quality optics at half the price of their competitors through their direct-to-consumer business model. Their products are back with a lifetime, no-fault warranty, and an incredible customer experience. The RS2 Ultralight Rifle Scope was designed for the all-purpose hunter. It features a 2 to 10 times zoom range to cover most of the eastern and western hunting situations. The RS2 is my recommended scope for those who require precision but don't need the added features of a long range scope, thus making it perfect for small game, eastern whitetail, as well as western big game and ultralight mountain rifle setups. It only comes in at 12 ounces, so it's one of the lightest all purpose scopes on the market. You can use the code EastMeetsWest GIF for a free gift with any full price optics order at mavenbuilt.com. All right, so I'm currently in West Virginia as this comes out, uh, hunting with the untamed from josh and kirk from the untamed down there 
hunting some mountain bucks in some really steep, rugged country. Uh, I'm really excited. I hope, you know, I, I say this every time I release a podcast while I'm on a hunt, hopefully by this time, maybe got a buck down, maybe one of the guys got a buck down, really hoping for it. Uh, I'm just excited to try something new here, be down here for the whole week. So with that being said, there'll be some shipping delays on East meets West apparel. So if you don't get a shipping notification, uh, right away, it's going to take me, you know, until I get back to be able to ship everything. I do all that myself, except for the items that say that they're dirt, they're drop shipped, which that is labeled under the product description on the website. So just, Please be patient with me there. I'll get your order shipped out as soon as I get back. And now we have a word from the Go Wild founder, Brad Luttrell. And just remember, you can use the code East Meets West to save 10% off of all hunting gear on the Go Wild app. When you post hunting photos on Instagram, they get censored. When you post on Go Wild, you get virtual fist bumps from fellow hunters. When you buy gear on Amazon, you gas up a billionaire spaceship. When you buy gear on Go Wild, we donate to a camp that teaches kids to hunt, fish, and shoot. See the difference? Go Wild is a free social community built by hunters for hunters. Join today at DownloadGoWild.com, and I'll give you 10 bucks just for setting up your account. And you'll keep unlocking Go Wild rewards as you share content, because guess what? We like hunting pictures. Join at DownloadGoWild.com or in the App Store. All right, we're live again. Tony Treach. He, uh, we just got done recording the the whitetail segment of the interview that I had with him here, and I wanted to get that one done as as whitetail season is is in full swing, kind of here. But this is the stories that uh, I was I was super interested in in hearing from some of your your western hunts and talking a little bit about your your elk hunts previously you know this year so now this will be your third time I guess essentially talking on the on the show here and we've talked about mule deer we've talked about white tails and you like to hunt all different kind of animals <laughs> yeah if I can get a tag I'll go after him. Uh-huh. I've, uh, yeah, I'm not too selective as far as species. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, hold on a second. Selective yeah. is exactly <laughs> what you are, but it, uh, not with the spe- uh, species specifically. <laughs> yeah, I, I always joke around with my friend, uh, in Wyoming, a, a buddy of mine that if I ever drop an antelope tag, he's going to have to come with me because I, I have, I haven't the slightest clue. They all look big to me. Yeah. Uh, but one of these years. <laughs> You know, it, it is funny because I, I have no idea how to judge antelope. And maybe if yeah. I got a tag, I, I probably have to learn a little bit. But, like, I just – someone will be like, this is a Boone and Crockett antelope. And I'm like, that – I don't know. It doesn't look any yeah. different to me than any other one. Yeah. But I'm obviously there's there's differences, but to me yeah. it's hard to tell. <laughs> yeah, I definitely have some learning there to do. <laughs> you think you will ever hunt antelope? Oh, I'm applying like crazy. I've been trying to, I've been chasing a, a unit, uh, last three years in Wyoming and literally it's point creeping ahead one year ahead of me. Like every year I've applied for it. The previous year I had hundred percent success with the points I had, but every year I've applied, I haven't drawn it for three years in a row. So I'm, I'm trying. Yeah. I've been, I've been putting in points for, uh, antelope in Wyoming and Montana. Um, currently and I, I can get the the montana tag now um wyoming i don't even have a unit picked out or nothing i just figured i better build some points and you know be able to have that kind of in my back pocket so to speak but 
Yeah, we'll see. My brother's been hunting antelope in um the last three years. He's he's got one. He loves it. He said it's fun, fun to hunt mm-hmm. and and everything. But I just I haven't done it yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, same here. Um, but so you uh you did your annual western. I don't even know what you call it, but it's a, a long <laughs> stay out west yeah. that you had, just a road trip. Yeah, that you had just gotten back from there, a little little road trip that kind of started out in in Nevada, right? Yep, yep. They had the first swing. Usually, usually I don't break it up into two swings. Like uh, you know, I think we covered in the other podcast is I got home with a little break in the middle of this one, but typically I'm gone from late late July, early August, all the way into to November. But this year I, you know, because of tag scarcity and uh not you know just not drawing the number of easy to get tags anymore like you just could a couple years ago i only had a couple tags uh but one of them was a very special tag you know one of, one of those you, you know i don't, I don't want to call it once in a lifetime because i want to hold out hope that i have it again but uh definitely the, a great tag and it was the number one you know, my, you know if you're familiar with nevada's draw system you get five choices this was this was the number one choice I had. I mean, this was the target that, I, I mean, I had the deer tag in that unit, the archery deer tag in that unit last year, found an elk, a big bull in an area that not really known. Like it's not like when guys go there to hunt elk, they don't go to this spot. Most of them are going to be in other areas. It's not really an elky spot. It's more of a deer spot, but I found a lone bull in there that was just a monster. Um, you know, very, very big and, and still not that old. Uh, so, uh, when I drew the tag or picked up the tag, uh, I was, the, the plan was to find him and got there, uh, just a couple days early of the deer season starting because I actually picked up the matching deer tag on Nevada's new leftover first come first serve list. Um, awesome new system. Uh, the, so I actually had the deer tag. So I, as soon as I got that, I, I, I hustled out there, but I, I think I got there a day or two before the deer started and which put me about, uh, maybe even close to two weeks before the, 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 the elk started. So I had plenty of time to scout and in the meantime, hopefully kill a deer. Oh, I didn't um, know. I didn't know when you were texting me, when you were heading out there and stuff, I thought they all opened at the same <clears> time. And that makes <throat> sense <throat> on why you were sending me a bunch of deer pictures and stuff. And I was asking you, first of all, why you weren't going after some of those deer. But, uh, I didn't, I didn't realize that, uh, there was a, a difference in the seasons there. Well, no, the, I was going after the, that one buck that I was showing you. Like we put several stocks on him and a buddy of mine had the same deer tag, or actually two buddies. And they came out and we were trying to kill that buck, but he had a magical, uh, uh, three point, just a little year, uh, two year old like, with him that was, he picked us off every single time. So <laughs> he's, he as far as I know, he's still alive, but the, but the elk tag didn't start for, for a couple weeks after that. So I, uh, I had plenty of time to scout. I ended up spending a total of 28 days in that area looking for that bull and never turned him up. I talked to every deer hunter I could find, uh, every, elk, every, hunter in that area I, I could talk to i i'd pick their brain and and see if they you know try to try to see if they've found a, a monster bull in there most you know most people aren't hunting elk in there it's, it's like i said it's deer hunters and no one had seen them um and i and i found up i i sent you a video of that one bull i found i mean he's great i mean he's pushing 390 we figured i mean he was a giant but and i was gonna kill him I and mean, i was totally happy with that but opening morning someone i was on him he was 
uh, well, by say on him, I was glassing him, you know, waiting for him to, to kind of bed uh, that time of the year. I'm hunting him like deer, you know, they're, they don't, you know, mid August, they're, they don't give a crap about any cows. Matter of fact, they stay away from them. And it was probably, well, I don't know, half hour after like full blown daylight. And I'm getting video of all the different bucks down or bulls below me. And a, uh, and there's roads everywhere in Nevada. It's hard to get away from roads. I mean, it's not like there's some big wilderness areas, but a lot of these lower areas, just there's just no way to get around away from it. Sure enough, here comes a, a truck right down the middle of the meadow, you know, half hour after daylight and opening morning. And for sure, I thought this guy's be some deer hunter that's just late. I mean, he's, you know, no, no elk hunter would drive through this beautiful elky meadow yeah, half hour after daylight. But as it turned out, it was. I, I didn't meet him. And they were really great people. They just didn't realize the meadow was full of elk. <laughs> uh, and in particular like 18 bulls like a big bachelor herd of bulls with three bulls over 360 and oh yeah it oh. Was, and that one giant was in there and and he uh, he to this day the, the guy his wife had a tag and they were super nice and and actually i you know i was trying to put them on you know bulls and help them and and he, you know they were they're good people they didn't know what they, they felt bad about blowing that up but but the uh, the end result was that bull I, I never saw him again uh and i was in there shoot, how many more days a lot more days so, so 28 total um and I, I never turned him up again and i covered a lot of miles on my feet on my truck on my quad i mean you know twenty-five thousand step days every day in the mountains in hours behind the glass every day all day just eventually i just like i've only got so many more days left of this tag and I'm hunting in an area that has actually a pretty low population of elk, hoping that I'd either find the the big bull that I'd found last year, which has been no show, or this one other one I can turn them back up. And I, I finally just decided I, I gotta I gotta change. And I was getting advice from a lot of different people that know the area, like you're a fool not to go up in that other area. Like you have to go check it out. It's it's gonna be it'll be that's where the majority of the hunters are at, but it's also where the majority of the elk are at. And <clears throat> I went up there. Pulled up camp as hard as it was. Uh, went to town, got cleaned up, got fuel and food. Everything's super remote out there. So if you don't, like, every chance you get, like, refill every fuel tank you got, it's it's really easy after, like, five or six days. You're like, oh, shit, I got, like, I'm, I'm, I need more water. I need more food. I need, yeah, it's, it's uh, so I got, got everything filled up. Do you, do you carry and, extra fuel tanks with you, like, or as far as, yeah. um, okay. I got extra diesel, extra gas, extra water. Oh, yeah, everything. Um, okay. but I was going through, you know, you're out there hunting in hundred degree weather and it's, you know, and I'm base camp hunting. I'm not backpacking. I mean, I'm, I'm traveling 10 miles a day with my backpack on, but I'm coming back to a, a central location. So I've got like a little portable shower there. So I'm burning probably two gallons of water a day. So it adds up after a while. Even if you have, you know, four or five, five gallon jugs, uh, you can only go so long without running that out. And yeah. Uh, and then, and like I said, I was covering a wide area. So I might like jump on the quad and go like six, seven miles around a, a whole mountain range to, to hike and glass that side of it, looking for that bull. I mean, I was covering, I was burning through a lot of fuel, a lot of water and a lot of energy <laughs> and emotions. <laughs> yeah. But, anyway, but eventually I pulled the plug and it's like, I'm just going to go up to that other area and see what I can do. And starting over from scratch after having that much time invested in that area uh, was, was tough. Cause I'm like, I know this area and I feel like I, if nothing else, I could kill, you know, one of those other good, good bulls. And by I say good, it, 
it's all relative, right? You know, you're, you're, when you're a once in a lifetime type hunt like that, like a, a 350, 360 bull is the good bull that you've been passing up opportunities on the stock just because you see these other ones. So I take all this with a grain of salt. I mean, I felt kind of spoiled just to even be there. But yeah, I went up to that other area, uh, tried to get permission on a couple a couple of uh, ranches up there that I knew uh, were like the hub of where the where the elk are, are living. You know, they're they're feeding at night on these on these uh, private parcels, and then going back up in the BLM and uh, in the national forest at night. And did not get any luck, but I got a good tip um, where to glass from. If you know, basically just ask the rancher. You know, if you had this tag, where would you where would you go to glass? And he it's almost like he was like excited that somebody asked him that. He's like, well, you know what I do? I always see him up here in this spot. And he's like, it's not on my property. So go up there. <laughs> you know, maybe it was, and then part of me is like, well, he's probably just throwing me for a loop just to get me yeah. off, you know, out of here. Uh, but sure enough, there was elk up there and um, which led me to more elk and the young glass. And, and it's, you know, it's just, I, I basically got up there probably at midday or maybe even later, like two or three o'clock in the afternoon. So I really didn't even have a hunt. I was just basically treating it like a scouting session. So I just got up on the highest point I could and uh, glassing these places where they were coming out to feed. And I, you know, there was a giant group that I find I found coming out of the, the junipers, and it's just like buck cow or uh, you know or bull cow bull cow bull cow just coming out of there, and it's like oh my god, there's just just the, you know the fields are filling up with with elk, and at the end of it was this bull, this bull that. It just didn't look real. I mean, his his body size and his mass of his you know, his antlers and his main beans just looked fake. He was there was other mature mature bulls out there, and his body was he looked like he was a third bigger than them. I just never it it, it made his rack kind of look small on his head when he was standing up running around chasing everybody. But no other bull would come anywhere near him, and he was running around bugling. You could tell he was king of the hill, and I was like, well. I need to get a better look at him. So that's probably eight, 900 yards away. So the next morning I figured out uh, a way to get round behind him. It was all BLM. So it was, it was all open. Uh, and, but there was people in there that I ran into two scouts. Uh, I call them scouts. Uh, what were they, they called themselves spotters. They weren't actually guides for an outfitter, but they were just spotters. Um, two young guys. They were nice enough. And I, I got, you can't imagine. I've been in there 29 days now and I'm pretty frustrated where I just came from. I just found something. And as I'm like going down this trail the night before to kind of like make sure I can get down this thing, here comes two guys out and they thought I was their client coming in for the day. Like, Oh, are you? And I, before I could even say, no, I'm not. They're like, Oh yeah, we got great bulls picked out. You wouldn't believe the, the bull we saw tonight. And I'm just like, Oh really? What is, <laughs> like, where's he at? What would you see? And they kind of pause and they're like, what's your name again? I'm like, well, I didn't tell you. <laughs> and I said, I said, uh, my name's Tony. I have a tag in here. And then by that time they, they told me what outfit they work for. And there's reputations out there, right? Like different outfitters are known for blocking roads are known for, you know, spooking animals off from spots. If maybe their customer isn't there yet. And whether it's true or not, I'm like, well, I'm ahead in this right off right now. And I told them and they're young guys. I kind of feel bad now. So I, I got right up in their face a little bit. And I was like, listen, I got a tag. I saw something tonight that I'm going to be in here tomorrow morning to kill. Have you ever wanted to have Levi Morgan, Andy May, Johnny Stewart, and others available at all times? 
Well, you can with CyberScout from Spartan Forge. CyberScout is like the chat GPT for outdoors men and women. You can ask it any questions related to bow building, scouting, hunting, survival, and a whole lot more. I think you'll be impressed with how it responds. CyberScout is currently out now for a select group of early beta testers and will be available to the rest of you really soon. The entire app is a complete tool for planning your hunt with incredible aerial imagery mapping, journaling, deer prediction, and some of the most accurate and detailed weather data. Use the code EASTMEETSWEST to save 20%, and if you're still on the fence, give the 14-day free trial a chance at SpartanForge.ai. CVA has been America's number one selling muzzleloader brand for over a decade. Hunting with a muzzleloader opens up a ton of hunting opportunities across the U.S., and I've been using the Acura series, but they don't only make badass muzzleloaders. Their line of centerfire rifles are great quality and not terrible on the wallet. The Cascade short barrel is ideal for tight quarters, deer drives, and quick shots in the big woods. You can check out their line of muzzleloaders, rifles, and accessories for every season and every range at bpioutdoors.com slash CVA. If you use the code EASTMEETSWEST10, you'll get 10% off of all CVA products, which includes rifles, muzzleloaders, and accessories. If there's something black on this road, it's not going to look the same when you come back to it. If if you guys try to spook them out of here, you're not going to look the same when I'm done with you. Like, and, and their faces instantly got white. And they're like, oh, no, no, we're good. We're, our hunters won't be here for, for two days, three days. But hell, we'll help. And, you know, and I'm like, no, you don't have to help. I just, I just, and at that point, I'm like, I'm sorry, guys. You know, I just, I, I'm a little on edge. I've been out here by my, you know, well, not mostly by myself for 30 days. And I'm like, I just, I, I, you know, I, you hear stories about how these things go. And they're like, no, we're, we're not like that. He's like, they weren't, you, you know, we're, we probably weren't even looking at the same bulls. You know, there's a lot of different animals in here by all means, you know, and they, and they, you know, and, and in hindsight, I felt like a jackass because one of those guys and I are now like, we, we chat on, on Instagram all the time. He's a good kid. I mean, he's, yeah. he's a great guy. And, but there was that back in my mind. I'm like, fuck, these guys are watching my bowl. <laughs> yeah. This road's going to be blocked and they're going to be in that, you know, out there spooking out. So they're before, you know, cause their customer isn't here yet. I'm like, son of a bitch. But uh, come daylight, they weren't even there yet. And I, I, as a matter of fact, no one was. I, I, I drove my quad as far as I could down that trail. Didn't see a single parked car. Jumped off. Uh, went basically got us got it. I guess I guess you know the area they were they were eating runs north and south, but there was a southwest wind, so I couldn't like get in the middle. You know, kind of where I thought they were going to be. Otherwise, if they were at the north end of that, my wind's going to catch me. So I basically got the far north end. It's probably two miles long. And I just had to wait. And once it got daylight, I saw there, of course, all the way down to South End. So I had to hustle all the way down there. And in the process, unbeknownst to me, I did hustle past a guy and his father. They were uh, in there. They had the tag. Um, I only know this because later in the morning, uh, I'm glassing around and I see a guy on a rocky knob. And he, like, as soon as I see him in the glass, he, like, waves. And I'm like, shit, I, he, I must have ran, like. 50 yards past him in the dark because like I, I ran right past that spot you know, yeah. like just at first first light and and sure enough they were hunting that bull and i, I kind of felt bad but he did get his dad on, a, on an, another good bull that week so that made it hurt feel a little bit better but 
But anyways, you're I hustled down. You're trampling over everybody in those couple days there, Tony. You're just. Uh, I went. I went from a peaceful just scouting and maybe, and then then I just go up this new area and I was like, I was the jerk. Yeah. yeah well, yeah. Thirty days in anywhere, <laughs> you know, hunting like that. Yeah, that can that it can make you a little bit on edge. I I yeah, would. I never be the same way. <laughs> I I never would have ran past that guy and his dad if I'd known they were there. I never saw headlamps. I never saw anything. Yeah. Um, and and maybe for all I know, you know, because it was just breaking daylight and I could see those elk were down there maybe they did creep out there after i ran by i don't know i never did ask the guy that he definitely wasn't mad um but i was playing it pretty aggressive i wanted to get as soon as i knew where the majority of the elk were coming off uh, out of those those fields they were feeding it i wanted to get to where i could cut them off and the majority of the herd actually made it to the, the pjs before i got to them like they were they were in there and and it was still good i mean they were all chasing each other around and bugling and i still had plays but as i'm glassing them up uh, I actually didn't even see them at first, but they were on the far, they actually started, I think, to go the opposite direction out of that field. They were headed east and a vehicle drove on that, that far side. And this is like a mile away. And I see this, you know, this vehicle driving over there and I glass it up and all of a sudden there's elk running across the field towards me, you know, and they're probably still, you know, like I said, a mile away. And, but you could see the mass. I could tell it was him on the binoculars. I'm like, oh my God, that's him. And yeah, there was like four or five cows in him and I just had to get in their way. And so now I'm like, I'm like, I'm, I'm running back to the north and then, and then she takes a turn and she jumps over like, and she's at the base of all these little coolies and draws. And she's like, she'll walk up one and then she'll go over two humps and get to the next one. I'm, 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 you know, half, three, four miles up on the, on the, up those draws running up and down these things, trying to stay in front of them. And eventually it got to the point where, you know, she's two, two fifty away and I don't, I'm running out of PJs. Like I, at this point, if she goes on the north side, I'm screwed. Because like I said, the wind's on the southwest. She comes on the south side. She's going to walk right by. And I'm probably going to get a shot at this bull. And that's when things kind of got crazy. So she runs, or she she kind of spooks a little bit. And he starts screaming. Well, at that point, he had been, I'm, I'm skipping forward. So so she was like 250 away and she's coming. I've committed. I'm like, okay, here she comes. This is, this is where it's going to happen. So as she walks by. He's, he's like another hundred to 200 yards behind her, just kind of lollygagging. And he wasn't really bugling anymore. And I, I, you know, I ranged her. She's 60. Uh, I mean, it was 50, 55. And I set my pin. Uh, you know, arrow's knocked. I get, I, I'm, I'm hooking up to the loop. And just about that time, she spooks, runs another five yards out. And he's, because he's running. He's bugling. He's just like, I think he realized, hey, I'm a little too far behind. Come here, honey, whatever. And the whole idea of like, let me make sure I've been hunting. I've been, been here for 30 days. Let me make sure this is the right bull I'm going to kill before I shoot him. Just went out the window. Like, I'm just like, kill him. Yeah. <laughs> and he, so I, 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 I mute him to a stop, but he, like I said, she had went about another five yards and I just didn't program that. And, you know, in my head, I'm thinking just kill him. And so I had my 55 on him and I think he was probably closer to 60 shot and for sure, I thought he's dead. Like it's tucked right behind the leg. He was broadside. I can see blood dripping. He you know, he takes like three bounds, stops, turns, you know, he's facing directly away. He looks right back at me like, what the hell was that? And I can already see like a basketball sized pile underneath. It's dripping out really fast. And I'm like, I got low heart. He's dead. I'm going to watch him tip over right here. And like two or three seconds go by. I'm like, I'm shooting him again. Like if he's going to stand there, I arrange him. You already had a binoculars on. So I, I use the range finding binoculars. So I, I hit that. 75 yards, dial the sight real slow. I already had no arrow knocked. Do the slow draw. He's still just looking over his, his butt right at me, facing straight away. So you know what I'm 
gonna do here. It's a Texas, you know, Texas hard shot, but I already got one yep. tucked right behind the shoulder. I'm like, the more the merrier. Let's get him dead on the ground. The faster the better. And I just ten ringed it. Like the arrow just boop, disappeared. He runs 60 yards and just like kind of stops. Like, oh, can't do that. Run, running's bad. Bed's down. And I'm thinking, I'm gonna watch him die right here. He's gonna die. That first shot's now gonna, you know, second shot he doesn't want to move to because of it. But that first shot's dead. And then he's he's laying there. And then he's laying there. And I'm just like, what is going on here? An hour goes by and he has not died. So upon further investigation later at the end of the story, I shot right underneath his heart and I can, I can show you pictures. It was seven, eight inches from the bottom of his brisket to where I hit. And it was a little, I was above him a little bit cause I was on top of a little coolie Ridge, a little draw. So it was angling down a little bit, but I, it was not hard. It was not lethal. If I hadn't made that second shot, I bet you he'd have been chasing cows that afternoon because it was just a flesh wound through the little brisket below his heart. Uh, it definitely didn't kill his heart. Like an hour later, he's alive. And at that point, I'm like, well, I've, I've got to get in tight and put another one in him. And uh, I just, you know, I, I quartered the wind. I, I basically backed off that coolie, went all the way around, trying to get the wind right, snuck in and got a, a third arrow and killed him. But um, yeah, kind of, I feel kind of, I mean, I've always been that I'm just going to keep shooting until they're dead. Yeah. Guy. Yeah. Like, like, like arrows are cheap and they aren't cheap, but they are in the grand scheme of what we pay for these hunts and the time off from work. And I'm traveling to Nevada from Michigan. It's 35 hours to get there. Like this is in the grand scheme of things, you know, even if it's got an iron wheel at the front and it's, it being, if it's a $50 arrow, it's cheap insurance. So that second shot was the one that anchored him. And the third shot, of course we've done, but, um, yeah, I would first shot wouldn't have, I don't I don't think it was fatal. But oh, and that's no when, way. you know, in the whole time when he was when he was laying there, there was a little bit of regret actually. And I'm thinking, damn it, I didn't I just didn't I didn't put a whole lot of time into when he was coming up, you know, that cow was right in front of me and then all of a sudden he bugled, he ran up there and I just shot him. Like I just went into kill mode and I wasn't like like I've literally been just glassing with my spotting scope bulls for 30 days straight, like scrutinizing like 365s going oh well he's topping he's real good and then here i just shoot this thing without like i'm like son of a bitch I don't even, i'm not even sure it's the same bull at that point because when he was by himself he did not look good i swear i like i haven't shared any pictures of him alive on the hoof for a reason he looks goofy like his really body is so freaking big oh my god he looks so stupid <laughs> his, i mean he's a 385 bull and he looks like a dink when I killed him and I'm 30 yards away walking up to him, I'm thinking, well, this has been an amazing hunt. I've worked my ass off. I've saw a bunch of ter- ground and I've passed up opportunities to stock a bunch of 360s. And I even had a 365, 370 broadside opening at 70 yards. Just stand there. I could have killed that. I was like, nope. But I, and I just killed a 330 bull. And I thought for sure that's what it was because with his beam sticking up in the air and he's deadly and they're dead. It just, you know, proportionally, if it's, if it's your standard mass measurement, it's, it, it looks kind of unimpressive. And it wasn't until I was about 10 feet away. And I realized that mass measurement I was looking at, or it wouldn't even be, it wouldn't even be where you take the, the mass measurement, but, but that if you measure direct, like right at the base of his uh, G4, it's almost 15 inches around right there. <laughs> you can, I can hide my whole hand behind it. And it, and it was at that point that I realized, oh my God, like he's got 20 inch fronts and 18 inch thirds and his beans are, you know, high fifties. And I've got like 
70 inches of mass probably it was he like the the thing just and then i tried to pick him up you know pick his head up i'm like well that ain't, that ain't happening um this this was the biggest bodied animal i've ever shot and i've killed a moose i shot a mature moose in idaho a few years ago i was able to debone that moose on relatively flat ground similar to where i shot this this elk completely debone one side tenderloins back straps both quarters neck meat rib meat and then by myself, flip him over to get the other side. I could not do that with this bull. I had to take off his head first, take off the cape, uh, take off basically half the neck, and just just to get. I mean, and then it was everything I could to get. Like you know, I got a front quarter in one in one arm, and and I feel like I'm my arms are stretched out like all the way. Like I, he was, I, like I would have loved to have had a tape measure just to measure like how tall he was from at the bottom of his brisket, the top of his back. I mean, his, just his body in general is gigantic. The The second bull that I killed this year, I've got pictures of those two together in Colorado after I, you know, cleaned up the Colorado bull. And he makes that bull look like a raghorn. Uh, his skull is two and a half inches longer than my Colorado bulls. And I know that that, that bull's mature. He's super old. I mean, I've hunted him for the last two years. Um, but he's just oh. he's just a tank so uh yeah i it went from like crazy exhilaration to super excitement to like oh shit what have i done maybe i shouldn't have shot him to oh my god i've got a once in a lifetime bull here <laughs> so it was like a roller coaster yeah uh, that's insane and and then uh how how far did you have to pack him out then to get back to your oh, not too far oh. not too far it was it was relatively flat and uh, it was probably three quarters of a mile to okay. where I can get the four wheeler. Yeah, it wasn't that bad, but it was a whole nother trip than I normally have to take with a bull elk. Uh, yeah, I mean, it took me four trips, a solid four trips, and they were all heavy. He <laughs> just had that much more meat on him, and I wasted a little meat. You know, when I, with that second shot, there was a little bit of damage to the to the inner sirloins there, and I, I, there, yeah, no, his body was. If that moose was nine hundred pounds that I killed a couple years ago, I mean. This guy was significantly more than that. I guess I'll just say that. That's insane. I don't. I don't, I don't know. How, I don't know how big. I obviously don't have a scale, but uh, I would guess. Uh, I guess. I'd guess probably I got three hundred thirty pounds, three hundred forty pounds of meat with some some that was wasted damage um, <laughs> off that bull. And I've shot mature bulls before where I don't think I got two hundred twenty pounds of meat out of him. But yeah, he was. Oh yeah. Okay. Was, so I'm thinking of my my young bull that I shot a couple of years ago. When I got 200 pounds of meat off of him, and so that's you know one and a half times yeah. you know more than that. Yo, know, that's that's insane. <laughs> yeah. No, he was he was a tank, but but no, I was the the hardest part about packing him out was just the heat while I was processing him and then and then flipping him over because it was probably pushing 100 degrees. I did have some trees that were you know, within a hundred yards, I, I hike the, the meat too. every, you know, as soon as I get a bag full and get in the shade and, uh, and then start making trips. But I, I ran out of water, uh, partway through my four trips, uh, my three quarter mile each way trips to the, to where I can get the quad to. And then I had to hike to the quad, which is about, that was probably three miles away. Um, and the whole time I didn't have any water. So I, I was severely hydrate, dehydrated, if not pushing borderline, like danger, by the time I, by the time I got the meat and myself back to the truck where in base camp where I had water at, it was, it was trouble. I mean, you're, you look, you're walking by like, like slimy 
cow like type cricks with cattle like standing in them and you're like thinking i might have to drink that like i i might get sick as a dog but i don't have a choice right and yeah. it, it was it was getting it was real close to the point where i was ready to stick my face in one of those puddles and start drinking but but uh, that that first that first bottle of water and subsequent beers after that tasted as good as any ever have yeah i <laughs> could imagine you're like hurry up and get this water in me so i don't yeah. dehydrate and then i'm gonna dehydrate again with some beer <laughs> but yeah. it's so and at that point that. still I, I still thought i killed like a, at that point i'm thinking like he's probably 350 360 i figured that you know, he's, he was in that range just because i, I well, i've never killed a bull that big and his mass kind of kind of blow you know, just makes him look disproportionate but yeah then I, I got him back to the band i sent some pictures out i had reception at my base camp and i sent it to some guys that are locals down there and and one of them's like, yeah, you better put a pen to him before you go guessing what you think he is and a tape. And I, and I, uh, and I did, and I, and I texted him immediately after, like, I didn't even add the fractions and I'm like, nope, that's not right. I messed something up. And I texted him, I'm like, I screwed it up. I'm doing it again. Started over again. And I'm like, right down the same numbers. I'm like, oh, bitch, maybe I added it wrong. So I added it up again. No, nope, I added it right. I'm like, I call him and I was like, I'm going to do it again one more time, but this is what I got. And he's like, it's like, yeah, I've already shared your picture with Chad, our buddy that was with us. And, and I told him you were thinking like 360. And he's like, that bull's not an inch under 380. I mean, but he's been guiding down there his whole life. And yeah. I, I don't know what, it, I don't know how the hell the bulls get the big old mature bulls down there get so big. Cause there's that, I think it's called Bergman's law. Uh, there's a, a, a medical or physical law that biologists have coined that the higher in uh, latitude, an animal lives like say Alberta deer, Saskatchewan deer, the bigger bodies they have, mm-hmm. uh, the further away from the equator, the bigger the bodies they have. Well, Nevada elk kind of blow that theory all to hell. I mean, like it is like the, yeah, the, 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 the mature bulls down there are giant. I don't know if it's some little type of subspecies or what, but, um, just giants and it's hot as hell. So that, that, that theory of, yeah. And the whole water, thing like is, is it pretty there's dry there's a lot there? more water than you think okay. there's a lot more water than you think you, i think you, of you just straight desert there. like you know when i think oh, of nevada no. well there's spots like that for sure yeah but there's nothing out there um but no it's there's once you get into those mountain ranges um uh, and, and my pictures make it look really really flat it's not as flat as it looks like he died somewhere flat yeah but i mean it was it's it's, it's still mountains just not as not it's not like the colorado mountains where i got my next bowl but it, it's still mountains yeah because when, when you sent me your picture i'm like how the hell do you even stalk on elk there because it just looked so flat and open yeah. and everything so yeah. it wasn't wasn't as bad as the picture made it look from that oh, standpoint no. Okay. no he died on a, on a big uh a flat plateau okay that makes sense. And then, so what do you, when you go on these trips, like what do you do um, with the meat and everything as you go to Colorado? Mm-hmm. How do you, how do you go about that? So uh, I, I take a trailer with a, a bunch of Yeti coolers. And then also I usually have at least one, if not two. And I've even taken three small, like seven, seven cubic feet. I think it's seven cubic feet uh, freezers. You can pick them up like a Lowe's or whatever for like a couple hundred bucks. And, oh, but I always make sure I have one of them. This year I only took one because I only had the, the handful of tags before I figured I'd probably be home. Um, and even if I, yeah, at that point I was in the past, I've been able to fit one mature buck and one mature bull in that seven cubic foot 
freezer. This year, you would have had to like take the meat out of the bags if you were going to try to put a deer in that freezer with him because he basically filled the whole thing. But, um, but yeah, so then I, you know, I, 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 but I had plenty of ice in the coolers to keep put him in it you know, until I got to town. Uh, and then basically by town, I mean, I, I drove right straight through to, to Colorado uh, to my next hunt. And then uh, I got a buddy there that's got a barn that lets me put my, plug my freezer in and uh, put a hard freeze on it before, uh, before I drive home. And yeah. Oh, that's, I, I, I save all the meat till I get home and then, uh, yeah, I do it all myself. I, I had a bad experience when I was younger with meat processors around my area and I just, I just don't trust them anymore. So I processed it all myself. Oh man, you had a lot to, a lot to process then. Could it was, and it was slow too, because by putting that whole, you know, I, I had those new Kefaro game bags and I think I, I had five of them in there total, three, three of the big ones and then one smaller one all stacked together. Well, they froze that way. So when I got home, I have basically a 330 pound block of frozen meat. So even if, I mean, I can't lift it out of there, it's froze to, to the walls. So then you're, you're trying to like, you know, basically just pulling a little bit off top beach bag every day, you know? Yeah. It's not a fast process. <laughs> yeah. I, I wouldn't imagine so. Um, all right, Tony. So you, after you went from Nevada, you were texting me well after you sent me the picture you sent me the pictures of the the elk and you sent me pictures of the mass and your your palm on the on the side of uh the antlers there and everything and you were heading to colorado as i was leaving so i think yeah. you literally got there like the day that that i had left what was it like september 11th or so you got in there uh well that's a great question um i i would have to look i do not remember right now uh yeah, you probably lose track of but, time when you're out there. Dates. You know what? I, I lose track of everything. I, don't, people, I always joke around with people that I don't know the names of any of the mountains or any of the drainages or any of the trailheads because I'm alone. I don't I don't have to like tell people like, hey, I'm going to be over here. Or, Where yeah. do you want to go? We go over there. I just I just go to places. And then I don't ha- – yeah, half the time I do not know the names of any of the stuff uh, that – yeah, the, of where – where i'm at but i just looked it was i think i got there the 10th okay yeah okay yeah that, that, that's yeah that was the day that we left it was friday the the 10th so that makes sense yep um so yep. tell got me there. a little bit about that because you um you were chasing a specific bull the year before right and or did you see uh, tell me the there story was two i can't of them. remember yeah last so last year there was actually two living in that area that were both i mean i would have shot either one of them they're both i figured they're both 330 um yeah, maybe 335 then so that was the first place i looked this year got up in there and i mean i haven't been glass in five minutes and like here comes a herd elk and they come up there they're cruising above timberline and are coming up out of the timber you know to feed above timberline and he's rounding up the back and right away i've I recognized the main beams like he's got these big sweeping main beams that kind of like curl back down towards the ground i'm like son of a bitch one of them made it and but also, like right away, he kind of like all of his cows, which was like probably forty-five at that, that first night, and him kind of bunched up and they're staring back towards tim- the timber, which to me usually means there's somebody in the timber uh, that, that was trying to put a you know an ambush on him as they left, and now they're you know about ready to get spooked. But they didn't get spooked. I mean, right up all the way till dark. I watched, and you know, I was a long way away. I was over a mile away. Um, they just kind of fed up, you know, up and just fed away. Uh, 
my next morning I was in that area and that would prove that first morning would be the only morning that I actually went in there after him in the dark. Uh, I met two dudes at the trailhead. They were, you know, they knew they were the ones in that they confirmed to me that, yeah, we were on that bowl last night and we thought for sure we were going to catch him as he came out to feed. And, um, you know, they, they were, they were pretty sure that they weren't going to see him for a while because he's like, I think they'd been there for like 10 days. And they're like, last time he, they kind of got wind of us like this, we didn't see him for five days. And, but I went and I told him, I said, well, we're all going the same direction right now. Um, you tell me where you're going and I'll go somewhere completely different. And he tells me, well, we're going to go up there above Timberline to that Rocky knob where he was going to. And in my head, I'm thinking, Oh no, 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 no. You don't want to do that. That's where they're feeding. Like it's, it's dark. There's no trees. It's not like the elk can, I'm like, I didn't want to say it, but I'm like thinking, dude, the elk can see in the dark, <laughs> like yeah. see a lot better than you can when it's dark. And, but I'm like, fine, I'll, I'll drop down the timber like 500 yards and I'll be plan B. If those elk, you know, make it past you, then maybe they'll, maybe I'll get a shot. And it wasn't, it just as it was breaking day. I mean, it's just like elk are shooting past me left and right, shoot, 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 going downhill. I'm like, Oh no, they just totally blew this whole thing up. And I never heard any like barking or anything, but they were definitely hustling down to get in the timber and they weren't walking. Um, so at that point I kind of just worked my way around to where I'd seen other elk in the past and where I'd even seen that guy the year before. And that's when I noticed it was opening day of muzzler season that Saturday, I believe. And sure enough, there's orange down below me. And uh, about that time, like hundred yards away from that guy, I see a, a cow and I'm like, Oh shit. He's that guy's right on top of him. And then all of a sudden I see a bull and it's uh, a mature five by five that I'd seen last year also. And I'd seen him the night before and, and he, he actually kind of regressed a little bit. He was a little bit bigger the year before. Um, I don't know for whatever reason, he doesn't look like a super old bull body wise, but he did get smaller. And uh, I don't, to this day, I don't know if that guy was shooting at that bull or if he was shooting at the big bull, because I think he hustled, he ran down. He was one of those bull elk that I heard running down past me um but either way a, a, a muzzleloader shot went off and it was pointed uphill i mean it sounded loud um and he's only a couple hundred yards away so i mean i instantly like get into like interception mode because those elk are now coming back up um but off to the side this is all happening probably 800 yards to the east of where you know the other elk had went down in the dirt past me when they got scooped up above so now there's elk, there's elk scooped up top there's elk scooped down bottom and uh, I only heard the one shot. Uh, I don't know if that guy got an elk. I don't know what elk he shot, but the five by five came. I, I basically put myself in a little drainage around the corner that they walked right past me and then eventually stopped and were feeding. And I, I think I even shared a video of him. Just yeah, that's you, meandering around him. You, yeah, you, yeah, you, so you put that video on Instagram and I was like, I was like, geez, one day and Tony's already passing up on this for me like you know nice bull that's a, and if yeah. anybody can't tell already this isn't like the unit you were just in where this was no like a no, no, no lifetime no. tag like this is a no, highly no. pressured unit oh yeah no i started hunting it over the counter uh like almost 10 years ago and yeah it's yeah no it's it's bad it's, it gets <laughs> not hammered yeah and and he's a great bull and like i would have shot that five by five if i if i thought he was the biggest bull in the mountain but I, he, I knew he wasn't so he and especially the first day um 
and don't get me wrong, it was narrow on my string and my release was on the loop and I'm just like, no, no, like grab the phone, grab the phone, just video it. Don't do it. And, <laughs> and, and then, you know, and he walked away and came back a couple different times. Like, dude, you've got to leave. Do not keep doing this to me. <laughs> and eventually he did. And, and I was happy. I, just, I don't want anyone, you know, I've said it before, but I don't ever want that feeling of regret of killing something that wasn't my, you know, I, I want to be completely like, like I wasn't in Nevada, just completely blown on my mind, thrilled when I get a bull down. The last thing I want is that feeling of like, ah, shit, you know, I should have waited. I should have, I should have held up. That's not what I came here for. And that's a horrible feeling. And it's not, it's not cool to feel that way, but it's also not, you know, it's kind of disrespectful to, to something you just killed too. So, yeah. So it was good. He, he, uh, he went on about his way and last I knew he's still alive. Um, I've got a buddy there hunting the, the rifle tag uh this week he's been scouting so i think that five by five is gonna get shit hammered here this weekend <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh so that was the last morning that i just went in there in the dark kind of doing your typical elk hunting where you just okay i'm going in there i'm gonna i'm gonna i know where they're kind of living i'm gonna listen for bugles i'm gonna try to get in their way whatever and i started treating him like deer even though he had a crap ton of uh cows and it was definitely rut time i didn't know where he was going to be at that that next morning um, so what I did was to go across to the very next mountain, you know, where I have the best possible view, which is probably two miles away and climb that, that thing, get up there as high as I can, where I can glass and just locate them first. So I'm giving up the morning hunt. Basically, uh, I'm starting off daybreak on a completely different mountain that he's not even living on, but that enabled me to find him every day except for one under the next eight days. And every, every day I was able to be like, okay, I know roughly where he's at. He's in a couple of times. I knew exactly where he was. Cause he and her, they, they'd go in a small little patch of timber. That's, you know, 300 yards by 500 yards and they wouldn't come out. It's like, well, so that's actually the first day. And, and they did get bumped by either the guys down lower, the guys up high, whatever it was, they were three and a half miles to the East the next morning when I found them. And Got, you know, so then I got to go down, back down that mountain, across, go base of that mountain, get up that mountain, got up there. And he was so aggressive towards all the little other, you know, that the, the first night I'd seen him in that morning, like he wouldn't, there was no satellites. He wouldn't let any satellites get anywhere near him. Like, like several, if they got anywhere near his cows, he was just coming on. Glued. So my plan was to get in tight and try breaking or just do some light calling you know, just without calling, I wanted to do it without calling to, to, to rake and try to just act like I'm a Miller bull on the edge of your cows. And it worked out perfect. I got up uh, on the downwind side of his cows, got to the point where I couldn't go any further. Matter of fact, I got further than, further than I should have, because at one point, I, you know, I had a couple of cows in front of me that were like 60, 70 that I'd seen. And they were the reason I stopped. But once I stopped and I'm standing there for five minutes, I realized I'd walked past some that were like 25 yards away. And they were just, they just were looking the other way at the right time. And I got lucky. I didn't blow the whole thing up, but I commenced raking. I waited until it was like a, like a low, low wind time. And I tried raking and just destroyed this tree. And he bugled, rounded up all those cows and took off <laughs> and left me standing there with nothing. I'm like, well, that didn't work. Now, again, I have no idea where he's at. So the next morning, back up on my knob, relocate him again. He had moved again. And this just kept going on every day. Like, I'd try something new. I get in tight, try screaming at him. That didn't work either. I think that was the second morning. Um, and I think I I think I, I might have tried breaking one more time. But after that, I was just like, just don't make a sound. Just treat him like a deer. 
get in tight. And it took four, you know, and I'm putting on a lot of miles uh, up and down these mountains trying to do this. And in the process, I'm just getting my ass kicked. Like I'm every time a spike's catching me or a, a, a cow's like just catches me moving and kind of moves off and she ends up taking the herd with them or they just feed the opposite way. You know, they're, you know, I, I got to play the winds. So I can't get, I have to, I have to be careful how I'm getting in there, in, you know, in front of them and with that many eyeballs. And by the time, by the day I killed him, I think he probably had between 65 and 70 cows. He had accumulated because every time a new bull with a small little four or five group, you know, of cows would come over, he'd steal the cows and run the bull off. And the last day I found him way over on the side and I want to say it was a weekend because the muzzlers were out thick that day. And they, I think they had pushed him over to, to a spot I'd never seen him before. And I don't think it was normal. I think he was actually, I think they were leaving. I think they were going down to cross the highway and get into the other side. Because um, they were only a couple of hard, hard yards above a road. Um, I got over there. There was someone parked down there, a hunter. And I thought, well, this might be good. They might have came down here and saw a truck turn around. Uh, I didn't, I didn't. I hadn't hiked up two or 300 yards and I could hear him bugling at another, uh, at another bull. And he had a very distinctive bugle. So I was able to stay on top of him that way. He was very wimpy. If you, if you heard his bugle and any, just any other bugle you've ever heard in your life, and you had a choice of which one you're going to go after hunt, you're going to go hunt the other one. Cause he sounded like the wimpiest spike you've ever heard in your life. <laughs> just an absolute, just, just meh, no finish on it. Just a short little abbreviated. And that's all he ever did. So I knew it was him. And I actually got pretty tight. Saw one of those satellites trying to work it on the on the herd. I couldn't see the herd, but I could hear the big guy. And I just assumed that he's probably on my side of the herd. But then he just went cold. And that satellite kind of just drifted off the opposite way. And I was just kind of left there standing like, well, the wind's kind of wrong to kind of follow him a- after him. I don't, and I don't really know where they're at. So I looped me this big loop to get a way up above, my, above the, you know, on the mountain up higher than them. Because the, by that time in the morning, the wind was going up with the thermals and, got up there and just with the idea of just listening and I sat up there for hours and it was, I mean, it was late, not late, uh, early afternoon, probably between one and three. I, I, I'm not sure exactly when. And I'm like, I just, I, I got, I got to go somewhere else. Like I, I can't hear him. He's there's got, he's got to be talking with that many cows. Like every time a satellite bull would come in there to the edge of his group, he'd be screaming at him all week long. I know he's still doing the same thing. That can't change. Maybe it could, but I just, in my mind, I'm thinking it's pretty, probably still doing it. I just can't hear from here. So I moved and it didn't take very, very long. I might've moved down 500 yards down the mountain and wrapped around a corner. And all of a sudden I picked out a cow and then another cow and then another cow. And there, and I was like, okay, now I got five cows, 70 yards, my left and five cows, 80 yards, my right. And there's a whole bunch of them. I can't even tell how many right in front of me, like 60, 80 yards. This is it. I'm on the edge of the herd again. The wind right now is perfect, but it's the thermals only. Like the directionals are coming across. As soon as the thermals start to go down, it's going to be bad. And out of the blue, here comes one of those little satellites. You know, I got, I got video of him too. I think I shared it. He walked right by me. Don't know how he didn't smell me. Doing the same thing I am. You know, shadowing the herd. He gets he gets 30 yards in front of me. He's just looking down at the at the hot cows. Like you can tell, he really gets read his emotions. Like. Oh, I want to go play. I want, yeah. a, I want a couple cows. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm just, I'm just thinking this could be really good if he stays here or if he starts bugling or if, if God forbid he starts raking or something. And if, I basically have a professional caller, like a real caller for me right in front of me. I'm behind him, but 
uh, but whatever. So I, I waited and eventually the cows started getting up. It was probably pushing four o'clock or so. And they started getting up and just moseying around feeding and working. They're all kind of working the same way out towards where they've been uh, primarily feeding after they got bumped from above Timberline. They, they never did go back above Timberline after that one night. Uh, but at that point, you know, the, the satellite jumps to his feet and he's thinking, all right, I'm going to, you know, I, whatever he's thinking, but he kind of worked and started working his way down to him. And I don't remember if he bugled. I don't think he bugled, but I think he, he, he might've raked some brush in that other bowl. The big one um, came on glued and he, he was probably 200 yards away. Like he was at the far side of that giant group of cows, but he stomped right up there. Like, you like, no, you don't, you're not coming any further. And that little one just, he was out like, peace out. I'm gone. I'll, I'll fight another day. And meanwhile, the cows are just paying zero attention to the bulls and they're just, and they're picking up the pace now and they're moving along. That lead cow was already around the corner. She's like, it's time to eat girls. Let's go. And just before you know it, like I can't see a cow and he's raking. And I've already been in, like, as the cows were kind of like disappearing and moving around, I'm moving down, 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 just trying to get as close as I can. As soon as that last cow was out of sight, he's still raking. He's like a hundred yards away. I ran, I ran down, cut the distance in half. Um, it was pretty thick. Like I, 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 I want to say, you know, I, I could make up a story and say I had this big window where I could just see, like, just see his vitals. But I'm like, I'm like, it's 50 yards. My rangefinder is telling me to cut it 42, and I'm like shooting through a softball. Uh, it's like it's tiny, and I'm like, mm, this might work. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know what? And like, I, I, I got to do it. And uh, that arrow just flew through there, perfect, and just drilled him and he kind of hunched up like like oh crap what was that and there was a pause where i'm like because i saw the arrow hit i'm like oh that's good but he didn't move and then just as fast as like i was thinking getting our arrow he just whirls and runs full speed downhill and it happened he ran so fast so hard so quickly that and then crashed but i couldn't tell if it was a crash because when he ran and he took off 70 other elk around you know oh, all started running at the same time so i can't tell if it's his death crash or what all i know is he went from acting like he wasn't hit at all to like running full speed spooked so i get down there i find the arrow it's got blood up you know i could tell like okay i got full pass through i think it might be a little high i can't tell you know i i i was aiming i mean i'm so far above him i'm kind of aiming high because i wanted to exit low on the other yeah. side but i'm like well, that's kind of where i was aiming so instantly the doubts are like, there's no blood where I was standing. There's no blood for the first 50 yards. Like I've, I found like a couple specs, like, like not good. And I bet I, you know, at yard 55, all of a sudden it was almost like someone just opened up the bucket and like, now it's like, Oh, sweet baby Jesus. Thank you. There's blood everywhere. Um, I think he just ran so damn fast. Like, like it took him, it took him a second to fill up just that. I mean, it was only like, you know, from the time that arrow hit, to the time he covered that, you know, pause for a second and a half, then ran that 50 yards. You're looking at three seconds, four yeah. seconds. And he just, it just wasn't coming out yet. But the last 50 yards or 40 yards were just like, it was pouring out like a, you know, I got a hose. And uh, yeah. And then there he was just laying at a perfect spot to, you know, process him and didn't have to worry about, you know, sliding down. It was, it was pretty sweet. Yeah. And it was, Easily my best uh, Colorado bull. Um, he's, he's pretty damn, pretty damn good. So yeah, what what did he end up taping out at? He's just shy of three fifty. Yeah, Jesus, that's 
that's incredible. And the fact you followed him around like that is just with that many many cows and being like I don't know. I remember when I'd see a bull with a ton of cows, not that many, but a lot of them. I was like, I just looked at him like I have no idea what to do. Absolutely no I didn't idea. <laughs> I tried everything. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I just, <laughs> oh, I just got lucky. Yeah, well, I don't know about that, but you you definitely figured it out. That's for sure. <laughs> and it's, uh, uh, yeah, it's definitely a challenge. Like uh, the difference of from hunting from you know I got the chance to hunt like a I mean what you call like a glory tag, and then like literally maybe what I would call one of the hardest elk hunts I've ever been on, and it's the biggest the biggest difference to me like elk behavior is elk behavior is what they put up with like i like i i never tried calling in nevada but everybody i was talking is like dude these what are you doing not calling these elk are just like this is this is the spot people want to come to call to because they respond yeah because they, they're not pressured but, as much but i didn't and, and then i get to colorado and i'm like thinking don't don't you dare touch that cow call. Don't you dare to don't don't make a sound. They're all gonna pick up and run another three miles if you make one sound. And they, and they do. And they just they just get so much pressure. They're they're different. They they, they, they that's they act differently in that way. In every other way, I, they're all the same. You know. They, yeah. They, they they want they want shade during the day. They want they need food. They don't like people. They don't like roads. They don't like noise. And they need water. Yeah. And and you know it's it's. It's funny because, like, on that hunt too, you were you were base camping it, hunting. You were hunting from mm-hmm. the road essentially, like as far as every day hiking into the spot, oh, yeah. and that's not an easy task by any means in uh, in those mountains. But like, I I remember you telling me that, and then also from what I'd learned um, when I was in Idaho, and I used to backpack into all my spots for elk hunts, and then I kind of stopped doing that a little bit. And in Colorado, this past trip after I got sick. I wasn't allowed going above 8,000 feet and I couldn't find anywhere in the unit that was below 8,000 feet. But anyways, I ended up, (laughs) I ended up finding one spot and there hadn't been an elk there since 1965. I'm pretty sure. And (laughs) I, I eventually kind of just worked my way up a little bit and I found a spot I could hunt between nine and 10,000 and I was feeling better. I only had two days of hunt at that point. And, and I kept, I, I used to call all the time because I thought that's what you're supposed to do. And and I was like, you know, I'm going to try a little bit of a, a, a different method with it. And so I just I stayed up at night and I listened um, for bugles um, from my camp where I was sitting there mm-hmm. eating dinner at. And I ended up hearing like three or four bulls, you know, going off across this <clears throat> across the other hillside. And there was hunters driving up and down this road there's a road on the top with four wheelers and stuff all day all this stuff but there nobody was running these side hills because it, it was super steep it seemed like in those areas that had a bunch of road systems through them people weren't going very far from them or in that spot mm-hmm. so the next morning i i climbed up to essentially where i heard the bugles from but i, I wasn't exactly sure and i didn't know the area at all so i was just going up in the dark and and I got up to a point where I didn't want to go any higher from the downhill thermals. So I kind of stayed at a decent point and I knew there was from the map, there was some, um, some meadows that were kind of up above me, some small ones. And so I just sat there and waited and listened. And then I heard, 
I heard a bugle go, um, a bugle go off and I heard a couple others of, um, what sounded like some satellite bowls with a, with a bigger one. And then it was just, you know, it was just a little after light at that point. And I just started kind of running up the mountain, trying to get up to him. Cause he was quite a bit ahead of me. Sit the, the same scenario. I, I, I was a little more aggressive than I probably would have been if I didn't, if it wasn't like my last full day to hunt essentially by I was at that point, but I got up, I got within 60 yards of them and I, I got, I went to put my, I knocked my arrow and went to put my release on. I couldn't get my release to clip and I didn't share this on the other podcast. I'm talking when I, about the hunt cause I forgot about it, but my, my release wouldn't go on. I had the, the knock to it, uh, thumb release oh, no. and I'm like, what is going on? So I, I always carry a backup, but it was in my backpack. So I take that off and I get out my other one. They're starting to work oh. up. And I clipped that on. What I ended up finding out was there was a piece of grass shoved inside my thing. So it wouldn't allow it to click over. And mm. at that point I almost threw it, you know, but it was, no. it, but it was, that wasn't the, the problem. But anyways, this, uh, he, he was bugling to me and I got in and I thought he was kind of, he started, you know, making a bunch of noise or crashing in these trees. And, and I never seen him, but they were right there in this dark timber patch. But they went, uh, they just were going up to bed at that point. And then I went up and it was two. So night before they came out to this one spot in these Aspens, they were heading out towards this. There was some big fields in the bottoms. I think they were feeding in at night across from where I was camping. And I, uh, so anyways, I just, I basically whitetail hunted them and waited out at that spot Mm -hmm. because they were there the night before they were there in the morning. They didn't know I was there and they had no pressure, but it, it ended up not, not working out. I didn't, didn't mm. see him or anything anymore, but it, it was, um, uh, I, I, uh, I second guess whether I should have called or not, or if I should have just tried slipping the whole way in, um, in that mm. scenario. I, mm. Do you think I, I, I just have not had good luck at it. Maybe I'm a bad caller, but I just have not had good luck calling in that in, in yeah. those over the counter units for any any unit even if it takes one point or two points um, yeah it, heck even uh you know some of the better units that i've hunted in montana uh that take several years of points to, to draw consistently those those elk are terrified of calls uh i know i i i think i think i drew or i, I, I yeah i i haven't practice enough of my calls so i probably am not the right guy to yeah because it's never been it's never been a focus of my method of of hunting so i uh, there's probably guys out there that, that could make it happen yeah but, and, and there definitely is and i'm not and the thing was so i was mule deer hunting that was my goal i just had right. an elk tag because i could get one and so i never practiced my call once and i was my plan was not <laughs> not to call but when i got in that moment of truth next thing you know i'm ripping that bugle tube out and i thought <laughs> you know i thought i was Corey jacobson up there like i was just i i got i got in that mode and uh <laughs> and uh and i was like shit you know I, and i didn't i didn't call any more than after that but uh it was it was it was just cool that you know i at least got somewhat pretty close with the limited time that i had to to be able to to hunt there but i when i was driving back and then i'm texting you and you're just getting in there and you're giving me updates when i'm back at work i was like oh man i just want to be back oh, out there the and i'm still having trouble breathing and everything you know so it wasn't like it wasn't like i was going to be very uh good anyways at her at my best but it, i just i freaking love i love hunting out there yeah no it's a beautiful area too that's 
if Colorado has one thing besides a lot of hippies and hikers, it's, it's just beautiful landscapes. It is so gorgeous. Like I, you know, I, I hunt a lot of areas that the hunting is probably better than it is where I hunt in Colorado, but Colorado is just gorgeous. It is. It's, I, I understand why there's so many hikers. I mean, it's, it makes sense. It's, I mean, it's gorgeous, but yeah, if I, yeah, if I was, not into hunting and I just wanted to hike for some, some reason, that would be the place I'd go to. Yep. Yep. Um, but cool, man, I'm, I'm pumped to hear those, those stories. Like I said, I was getting tidbits from you through text messages, but it was cool to, to hear the full story there and see how that, that worked out and just seemed, seemed to get it done, Tony. Yeah. It, uh, it came together this year. There's there's years when it doesn't. Remember, you know, I, I chased that bull last year, so I, I went home after two weeks of chasing him, and I think even longer than that, closer to three, him and that other bull, and I, I didn't I didn't have him. I had those same feelings when I was back at work that you had. Derek. Yeah, you know, it's like, damn it, I want to get back there. You know, what am I doing here? And I didn't get it done. So it doesn't always work. No, it definitely doesn't. But it's uh gives gives us faith that it it can work. You just gotta gotta be there, really. Yep. Yeah, keep trying. Well, cool, Tony. Thank you for coming on uh, again and and chat yeah. with me here tonight. I I really enjoyed it. Would you want to tell everyone where uh, they can follow along with a little sure. bit of your stuff, and then where your hunts, as we talked about in the previous podcast, that you're going to have some yeah. whitetail hunts filmed here. So, talk a little bit about both those. Yeah. So, well, you can you can find me on Rockslide. Uh, I got lots of articles on there, and I'm usually writing an article or two for either Eastman's or Western Hunter. I try to split it up between both of them, uh, the, the Western centric mag- magazines. And then, uh, on Instagram, it's just Tony underscore treach T R I E T C H. And, uh, that's, that's the best spot to probably message me if you got any questions. Um, uh, but yeah, for my fall, it's, um, I've got a, a Wyoming general deer tag. That's not really one of the, the more, you know, widely hyped better units. It's kind of a off to the side unit that doesn't get a whole lot of pressure, but it, for good reason doesn't have a whole lot of great bucks uh but i've got a buddy in there who has the bison tag and his mom has a moose tag so i'll have a, a deer tag in my pocket while i'm helping them that'll be fun and then my next three hunts i'm trying something new yeah like we talked about before i'm gonna be filming filming a few hunts and one of them's gonna be professionally done I, I have no worries about that one uh with uh mark kenyon and the meat eater guys uh for a new tv show he's gonna have next year but the next two are kind of going out on a limb and uh, going to try to film Eastern Colorado Plains deer hunt uh, during the rut with the uh, uh, decoys and then uh, the same thing in Kansas. So uh, each of us has one tag and uh, uh, Blake has Kansas and I have Colorado. And it's, it's uh, that's usually my, my happy time of the year. I'm usually in Kansas, but uh, I guess I'll just, the, the Colorado tag is going to be a, I mean, if I didn't have that and I had to just go down there and, and just, just help him kill a buck in my spot, you know, and, and I, <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, when I, basically my, that's my favorite hunt of the year. And, and this year I, am uh, not drawing it and eating me up, but, but I, but he did graciously, you know, give me the landowner tag that the rancher that he knows it was his connection, uh, you know, that, that gave us. So when we were supposed to have two, but so it's, it all worked out. Awesome. But, but yeah, I well, expect to see, Good bucks on both those hunts. Real good bucks. Good. Well, I'm looking forward uh, to following along, and I hope everyone else does too. Go go check out Tony. So thank you again yeah. for coming on, man. Yeah, no problem. Anytime.
Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.